Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. Discourse and conversation were a common theme in the time of Jesus. The same thing was very common during the time of John Wesley, Methodism's founder. In that discourse, grace became a vital part of conversational life. Despite differences and a plethora of thoughts, grace upon grace was given. What does grace mean? What does it look like? How do we give grace to those we disagree with today? This week's message of the week comes from Pastor Bryce Blank, who shares from John chapter 1. He reminds us that the absence of grace divides, and with the overflowing of grace comes unity. Here is the First Church message of the week. So, have you ever played a card game before? Or do you have any special family activity that you do whenever you gather together? Well, my family, we play cards. Whenever we get together, even if there is just a few moments of spare time, you look over and somebody's pulling out a deck of cards and starting to set it up to play whatever game we decide to play. And Some of those games, they last only a few minutes, but some of those games last hours and hours and hours, and you pretty much get roped in for the whole afternoon. And, uh, well, our family's favorite game to play, by far, is hand and foot. You may have played this game before, maybe you haven't, but know that it is a complex, kind of sometimes complicated game to learn when you're first trying to figure out how to play. And that it takes a long time, even if you understand the goals of the game, it takes you a long time to understand, should I play this? Should I not play that? What am I even trying to do to win? And it takes you a long time to figure out any sort of strategy. Maybe you have kind of experienced this with some of the other games you've maybe played throughout your life, that it takes a while to kind of figure out what to do, even if you know how to play somewhat. Well, if you ask anybody in our family who is supposedly the best card player, They would immediately not say me, um, and they would probably argue quite a bit, and then eventually somebody might mention my grandpa. For some reason, my grandpa always figures out a way to win, or generally seems to win more often than the rest of us. Now, we, of course, as good family members, just accuse him of cheating every time, right? (laughs) But uh, he always says to us, if you're not cheating, then you're not trying. So uh, either way... Uh, we have never, to his credit, we have never caught him cheating, but he does have a very competitive nature about himself when he plays cards, that he really, really enjoys the competitiveness of playing. And my grandma, my grandma is the same way, that when we play, she really wants to win too, but she also just wants to have fun and have a good time, uh, despite that she always, you know, at the bottom line, bottom end of the day, she wants to win. And so... When I was first learning to play hand and foot, I would mess up a lot because, again, it's a complex game, and so there's a lot to figure out. And and so when I would mess up, they would give me grace, and they would give my brothers grace as they messed up too. And that if we played a wrong move or we did something that was just you know definitely wrong and not, not a great strategy, they would let us redo it or they just wouldn't count it against us. Because they knew that if we wanted to really enjoy ourselves in playing this game, it takes a little bit of time to figure out what you're doing. And so offering grace would allow us to eventually get there. 
And they did this. They offered grace to us because they loved us, because we were their grandchildren and they wanted to be a part of our lives. Now, our scripture today talks about how we engage with the world. And we read from John chapter 1, verses 11 through 18, which is the second half of the opening of John's gospel. It's the second half of what they call the prologue. Uh, and we, what we read is that, uh, well, we, 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 we I'm sorry, <laughs> got myself off. We, uh, we learn a lot about God, but we also learn a lot about Jesus. And so when I read this scripture, I invite you, I encourage you to listen. What is this scripture saying about God? And what is it saying about Jesus? So John chapter 1, verses 11 through 18. The light came to his own people, and his own people didn't welcome him. But those who did welcome him, those who believed in his name, he authorized to become God's children, born not from blood, nor from human desire or passion, but born from God. The word became flesh and made his home among us. We have seen his glory, glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified about him, crying out, This is the one whom I said, He who comes after me is greater than me, because he existed before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. As the law was given through Moses, so grace and truth came into being through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, God the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made God known. Here ends the word of God today. Now you may know this, you may not know this, I, I tend to get lost, and so, I, and so in case you didn't know, you're in a United Methodist Church right now. Yep, you can thank me later. And uh, the Methodist Church, the United Methodist Church, was founded in 1968, and it was a result of two denominations merging, the Methodist Church and the United Evangel or sorry, the Evangelical United Brethren Church. However, Methodism as we know it started many years before that. And Methodism's father, founder, John Wesley, unintentionally started a group within the Church of England around the year of 1738 because he he wanted and he felt that he needed to be closer to God in his daily life. And so John and his brother, Charles, who we know and we received many big hymns from, many of our greatest hits came from Charles. Those two got gathered together with others in a group to make God a more daily part of their lives. And so in doing this, they read scripture, they sang songs, they prayed, and they talked about their daily struggles. And this is actually the same model that many of our small groups are modeled after, that if you've been part of a grow group here at the church or a serve group or in any churches, uh, a lot of groups are modeled after this nuclear model that the Wesleys started. And so while meeting in these small groups, the Wesleys started what became known later on as the Methodist movement because of the way they were intentionally seeking God in their lives, intentionally seeking to live out their Christian faith. And around this same time, the American colonies started to form. And as they formed, Christianity took hold. And it grew, and it morphed, and it adapted, and it eventually became more organized and more structured. And 
Methodism went from open-air preaching, which is preaching in services out on the streets, on a hill, or in the fields, to being worship services that happened in chapels or in buildings like we are in today. And so it was during this period of Methodism that what we know as Methodism or churches and worship pointed towards what we are in today. And one of the practices we saw over this early period of Methodism uh, was social discourse happening between a variety of parties. That is, arguments and uh, conversation happening between people and between groups of people. And so this happened in pamphlets that they handed out. It happened as preachers preached sermons, and it also was distributed between letters. And as we read what John Wesley talked about, he, he argued and he disputed with others about certain religious practices and different theological beliefs. And we also find that John Wesley was not a man without conflict. That is, that he generally tried to seek conflict and disagreement with others. And what we also see then throughout his letters and these written accounts of his verbal sparring with others is something that is missing from our lives today. And that is the ability to disagree or to agree to disagree respectfully. That is to agree to disagree with someone on whatever our topic is that we're talking about. Because the Methodist movement was so new and it was a, a break in Christianity as the world had known it, a break from the Church of England, Methodists then became known for making it work for the sake of the gospel. That is to say that the Methodist church, as we see it over the course of history, from its conception is defined by its ability to make it work for the sake of the gospel. That Methodism or Methodists over the years have done what they had to do to keep moving forward for Jesus Christ. And this is the same reason that we saw eventually those two denominations merged to what became the United Methodist Church. However, as we know it today, the United Methodist Church is having to face a controversy, one that Christians have been dealing with for years and years, and that's the issue of homosexuality in the church and how it is interpreted in Scripture. And it's a topic that many Christians, myself included, and as a denomination, we've struggled with for a long time. It's one that we continue to struggle with. And it's one that we don't want to talk about very often. But as a denomination, the time has come to talk about it, and it has been coming for years. And sadly, we've moved to a place where we've had to, as a denomination, draw lines in the sand. Now, I'm not advocating for one view of homosexuality or another. But what I would like to point out is that the United Methodist Church as a whole has failed to agree on this issue. We've failed to find a way to hold our respective differences of opinions together as one united body. And at times we failed to show respect and love for one another. And this is one of the saddest things that I think I've witnessed any group of people go together and go through knowing that we are still going through this. Now, as a denomination, we are doing what we've always done, and that is to find a way forward. And in this case, it means that some churches have already or will be choosing to leave the United Methodist Church as a denomination. 
But I think this reflects on what we have been feeling and experiencing and acting on over the last decade or so. We have failed to respectfully communicate with one another. We failed to remain together despite opposing points of view. We've failed to take Jesus' call seriously, to love others as God loves us and to treat others the way we would like to be treated. We have failed to live and to love together. We have failed to live together in this world. And while this feels horrible to go through and to even admit, we see in our text today and all throughout the Bible that this is not new to humanity, that conflict happens over and over. And as you read about God becoming flesh in Jesus, we see that God was rejected. Jesus was rejected. John so eloquently speaks of Jesus as the word and how the word was God and the word was with God. Jesus talks about Jesus being the life and the light of all people. And when we read this, we can't help but feel hopeful. At least I can't. But then we get to the start of our scripture today, verse 11, which says the light came to his own people and his own people didn't welcome him. Imagine being God, sending Jesus as your living and breathing flesh, as creator of all the world and all people, as creator of everything that is good, to come into the world and expect to be welcomed by it, but instead be rejected. Jesus was cast out by his own people. And we benefit from knowing the whole story. We know that Jesus faced many points of conflict, that he was not only cast out, he was accused of false teachings, the towns didn't want him anywhere near, that he was questioned and he was put on trial, and that even when he was proven innocent, he was still traded for a guilty man, Barabbas. We know that Jesus was beaten, that he was whipped, we know that he was crucified to the point of death on a cross. Jesus knew about conflict. God knows about the conflict of his creation, as we have over the history sinned again and again and turned away from God's love. But despite this hardship, knowing what was ahead, God chose to live among us in Jesus. We read that the word became flesh and made his home among us. We have seen his glory, glory like that of a father's son, full of grace and truth. The word, that is Jesus, showed God's glory and his glory was full of grace and truth. And this is one of the greatest gifts we have ever received. This is the greatest gift that humanity has received. Jesus shows God, and in showing who God is, he shows us what is true, and he shows us that God is full of grace. God is full of grace, and this grace has been offered to us. It has been offered to all who make mistakes, who have sinned, who have turned away from God. And in Methodism, we call this provenient grace. Provenient meaning a grace that goes before. It is a grace that is offered to us even before we act, even before we move before we have chosen to do right or wrong, before we've rejected the goodness of God and God's love. But what is grace, as Sandy questioned in our children's message? It is the undeserved, unearning blessing of God. 
It is God offering us forgiveness for all the things we haven't even done yet. It is God showing us that despite how broken of a people we are or how broken we think we are, God sees us as whole. God sees who you are and sees that you are enough, that God's grace is enough. Now, when we move on in our text, we learn about Jesus and what Jesus shows us about God. From his fullness, we have received, we have all received grace upon grace. As the law was given through Moses, so grace and truth came into being through Jesus Christ. That's what we read. And did you catch that? We've received grace upon grace. And this grace was brought to us through Jesus Christ, the man that we chose to, to reject. And so it is in Jesus, through this grace that is offered, that we are forgiven for our failures. Our shortcomings are wiped clean. And it is not only a grace that takes care of our initial mistakes, our initial mess-ups. It's a grace that fills in all brokenness, all shame, all pain, doubt, fear, hate, or harmful intention. It is a grace that does all of that. And then it does it again. And again, and again. And whatever ways the people of Jesus' time rejected him and therefore God, they are forgiven. They are forgiven for placing their needs above God and for not seeing the glorious person of Jesus, God's son. They are forgiven for rejecting God's love. They are forgiven for failing to live together when Jesus showed them the way to live with respect for one another. And we too are forgiven for failing to live together. Through the grace of God offered to us over and over in Jesus, we are forgiven for the failures of living, of failing to live together. And that means that through the grace of God, we are forgiven of our failings to live together as the United Methodist Church. By grace, we are forgiven of the way we have treated those who disagree with us on the issue of homosexuality or the way that we have, as an organized denomination, chosen to handle it. We are forgiven for the way that we have failed to live together. And John's gospel shows us much more. That Jesus is the embodiment of God, and therefore of God's grace upon grace. And this means that as followers of Jesus, we too are to embody grace upon grace. That as disciples of Jesus, we are to be an extension of him. We are to act out God's love for others just as Jesus did. We are to incarnate God's love just as Jesus was God incarnate. And as Jesus revealed God to the world, we are to do the same. We are to strive to offer grace upon grace. And even when it's difficult, upon grace, upon grace. We are to act out God's love by extending grace to others. In the world of Christianity, we have many denominations. We have many subgroups of Christians all throughout the world. And all of us have failed to live together for one reason or another. But thankfully, God forgives us for that too. And as disciples seeking to offer God's grace, we can be the first ones to show what that means to others. So I encourage you, talk to someone from another denomination or someone from another church, or someone from within our church whom you disagree with, 
I know for certain that we don't all agree on everything, right? But that's okay. Find ways to show God's love, but also ask how and why have others chosen to show God's love to you? We've been offered a grace that makes us whole in our brokenness, a healing found in Jesus. And whatever the topic, politics, religion, food, food preference, dress, practice, whatever the issue may be, whatever it is, talk to someone who you have failed to live with. Offer them grace as you ask them to do the same. We all make mistakes. We all have shortcomings and we take a while to figure things out, to figure out how to play this game called life. But despite that, we can all offer God's grace. When learning to play hand and foot with my grandparents, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about cards, but I also learned a lot about how to live together. Because not only did my grandparents offer me grace as I struggled to play the game, but they offered me a valuable piece of God's love. When we played cards, we didn't just sit there in silence. We talked about anything and everything. And we had a safe space to talk about whatever came to our mind because there was a grace that was offered in that place as well. And it was there that they taught me how to live together as we learned to live together ourselves. And over the years, we certainly have not agreed on everything. We've gotten worked up, we've gotten mad, at times we've had to walk away from the table, but we always were welcome to return because there was a grace offered in disagreement as well. And it's a grace that Jesus offers us too. It can be as simple as understanding that a child makes mistakes when they're learning to play cards, but it can also be as simple as understanding that we all make mistakes as we learn how to live together. May it be so, and please pray with me. Wonderful God, God full of grace, you sent your son Jesus Christ into our world to reveal yourself and the grace that you have for us and for all of creation. And though they rejected Jesus and we still too to this day reject Jesus, you have forgiven us for that. You've forgiven us for the ways that we have failed to live together. And so as we strive to do that, as we strive to live together, give us grace and fill us with the knowledge of that grace. And then in turn, encourage us to offer that, that grace that you give to us so freely out of love to others. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, to the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information, like our church calendar, worship times, and upcoming events, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.